Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael and I am here today with co-host Tom. Tom, say hello to everyone. Hello, hello, hello. I want to I want to come up with a cool catchphrase for myself. Like, I don't know. Like like shout, like some sort of like conspiracy thing, like <sighs> like like I don't know. I'm just, I'm 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 going to be workshopping it. My name's yeah. Tom and birds aren't real. Yeah, something like that. Or just like subliminal messages every week that nobody understands but me. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. Hey, folks, this is Tom. And we are here today for faculty meeting 148. This is part of our sort of re-look back at some of the older episodes from the original days of the RPG Academy. And today we're looking back on Dungeon Talk episode 10, Is This Thing On? But before we get too far into the show, we always like to take a moment to say why we're here. The goal of these faculty meetings episodes is that while Tom and I have this conversation, we're hoping that there will be something, some little nugget of wisdom that you, the listener, can pull out, apply at your tables, and make your games more fun. But we know that the advice we give and the opinions we share may not work at every table every time. But there is one piece of advice that we feel is pretty universal. And Tom, what is that one piece of advice? If you're having fun, you're doing it right. That is correct, sir. So no matter what game you're playing, which system or edition, what rules you use, don't use, or misuse, as long as you and your players at your table are having a good time, you're doing it right. So with that out of the way, let's jump into the show, and we're going to start with uh, RPG news. So what's going on? Uh, a catacon. All right, this episode is going to Never be... Heard really, of it. I know, right? It's this really cool convention in Ohio, Michael. You may like it. You may not. I don't know. Sounds to dumb. Each, I mean, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. So uh, the so yeah, so we're hosting a catacon. It's right around the corner. This podcast will be out before a catacon. Uh, so, Michael, what's what's the status? Have you pulled out all of your hair yet? Uh, just about. It's okay. it's getting down to the wire. I um, poker chips were delayed. They are now in the mail. I got a hold of um, Vinny and Avi from Double Exposure and all the games for Play to Win are now on the way. I had to circle back to a couple of our sponsors because I hadn't got the stuff yet. So I've been emailing them. Uh, I've, I think there's one left, a, kind of a big one that I haven't heard back from in the last couple of days. I'm a little bit worried that might be ghosting me. I don't want to say anything in case I'm wrong, but I'm a little bit worried about it because it was a really big one. Uh, putting the prizes together, just trying to get organized, yep. going to start packing up everything. So there's just a lot going on. Um, I think we're up to 204 badges in the system. So that doesn't include uh, some of our vendors, like like vendors get multiple badges, but only one goes in the system. All the others are just like for helpers, that kind of thing. So we're probably going to get close, I think, to 250, 300, which is kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. Uh, at least in years past, we would have, you know, 40 to 50 people who just came during the show over the course of the weekend and bought a badge or checked it out for a day or something. Don't know if that's going to be the same this year, more or less, but... I think 250 is probably a good number, which is basically half of what we had in 2019. Okay, we were talking about this a little bit before. You know, it's this a little bit, a little bit weird. You know, coming off the off year and stuff. So, uh, yeah, we're moving on up. No, it's cool. I'm excited. It's, it's going to be here before we know it. So, if it you're is. listening and you haven't bought a badge, but you're kind of thinking about it, just show up. It's cool. If you're in the Cincinnati yep. Dayton area, it's fun. 
It is. So. It's a good time. And we do have a, a daily, like a door special. If you come after five on Friday, it's just five bucks for the whole rest of the night. If you come after five on Saturday, it's just 10 bucks for the rest of the day. Uh, so if you're not sure you can make it, or if you just got a few hours, I think those are both reasonable prices for uh, for a, basically a half day at a con. Yeah. Uh, so come on down. Hang yeah, out with the, us. Uh, bring a mask, though. Vaccination yes. not required. Masks are. Yes. Perfect. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, so Catacon's right there. Big RP- big news in the RPG world, you know, Catacon and whatnot. Um, so the next big piece of news is a kind of interesting little bit. Uh, it's a shift in the RPG world, I think, as we know it. Um, a lot of you who are on Twitter, Reddit, um, it's even been picked up by some larger um, news sites. Uh, Pazio, uh, Pazio, I never know how to say it. Pazio, Pizo. Pizo, Pizo. Uh, employees are they are attempting to unionize and freelancers are starting to rally around them so this is all kind of stemming back from uh last month a former uh paizo employee jessica price kind of posted some posted a really long thread about some of the the low wages and poor working conditions that the employees were kind of going through and as we all know, I mean, unions are there to protect the workers. So uh, the this is kind of a, a prime example of it. So yeah, the but the big shakeup here is everybody's kind of just waiting to see what Paizo does because they've kind of just ignored it. Even though this is huge, it's everywhere. Like I said, it's all over some other larger news sites. Um, and people outside of the RPG world are starting to take notice of it. And they're just kind of ignoring it. Nobody knows, are they just going to fire everybody? Uh, but with the freelancers now saying, that, hey, we're not going to be submitting stuff, uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see, especially because historically RPG and publishing is very much lacking in worker, worker rights and relations. So it's going to be interesting to see, uh, no matter where you kind of land um, on this, it is going to be, uh, I think, going to be a game changer in the industry. So it's definitely going to be have wide ranging effects yeah. on the future of our hobby and you know what gets published by who and by how much they get paid for it. So if you are someone who wants to write or currently writes for RPGs, I just think this is again. I said it's you can't overstate how dramatic this could shift the landscape and you know whether you're pro-union or not i hope you're pro-worker i think that's kind of a universal thing there might be some debate on whether unions or all unions because there are certainly goods and bad ones i'm sure uh you know what they do for or against that type thing but i'm absolutely for the workers in the case i hope they get what they need and what they want so that if this is their job they can make a living from it yeah, it, it was interesting too. There were some other tweets uh, yesterday that were posted, and uh, turns out the it looked like uh, Paizo was kind of paying their full time employees was around thirty five, forty thousand dollars annually, which is that's really that's really really low, especially for uh, somebody who's considered an industry professional. So especially Paizo is a larger company, so we're kind of seeing if this happens. Uh, what does how does Watsi? Um, move forward uh with this and hasbro as a whole and then and not to belabor the point because i don't i don't have any insight or inside information but like organizations like um is it arcadia the matt Koval? yep like they're doing their their magazine monthly and they pay well above industry standards you know again you could 
talk about the fact that they have the leeway because of the massive success of the, his Kickstarter. They basically got money in the bank that they can afford to like lose money to start with to try to build an audience for the for the product. Not everyone necessarily has that, but then you also have things like Kickstarters, like the uh, can't remember his name. The guy who runs In World. Yeah, you know, the level up 5e Kickstarter is like mm-hmm. half a million dollars. Cobalt Press comes out with like three Kickstarters a year that make, you know, $300,000. There's enough money yep. in these products that you could pay people more. I just, I think that's pretty much a, a, a fact, whether, you know, again, opinions may vary on who deserves that or not, but there's enough money in the, in the industry to do for, for, for the people producing the content to get a little bit more piece of the pie, I think. Yep. Lots of money into the industry. And I think we're starting to see that people are starting to realize that we've been told for years that the margins are extremely low. Um, But that may be true at the lower end, but once you get to that higher end stuff, uh, the margins are pretty high actually. So it's going to be interesting to see. So talking about some larger studios um, right now, let's talk about edge studios. A lot of people may know that, uh, Fantasy, Fli- Fantasy Flight kind of dissolved their RPG branch uh, last year, and they sold it to Edge. Edge is a European studio that historically has done translations of other RPGs. So now Edge is in charge of all of Fantasy, Fight's stable, Fantasy Flight stable of RPGs. Uh, there was a lot of speculation and Uh, People are like, what is Edge doing? Because they didn't even do anything. They didn't even have a working website for almost a year. Uh, But now it just kind of got randomly announced that they are working on another Star Wars game. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So this is kind of interesting. They did say that they're, this doesn't mean the existing product, Edge of the Empire, Force and Destiny, um, the, that is going to continue. All right. But they're working on a new game that is actually being led by uh sam gregor stewart who is the he was the head designer of the existing star wars game so uh kind of interesting to see there I and mean, that's a big that's a big ip it, it is it's interesting to me to wonder like is it that sales are lagging and they just want to reinvigorate i mean again we're going to see a sixth edition of D sometime it's going to happen i don't know when i don't think it'll be for a little while but it's going to happen you know Pathfinder's now on its second edition. It's just a, it's a truth of the industry that eventually you're going to have to do that. But I am curious, you know, is it tied into maybe a movie or a show? Because we got the Mandalorian is really big on Disney Plus. You know, the the end of the the uh, was it Skywalker Rising, Rise of Skywalker, whatever. I kind of think was a dud. It was, it was one of my least favorite Star Wars movies ever. Uh, so I'm just wondering if there's something behind the scenes within like Lucasfilm or you know within Disney that this is going to tie into, but we don't know that yet. Because if not, it seems like a weird time for me. Because I I would say right now Star Wars, other than like The Mandalorian, is kind of down. Yeah. So I don't know. It's it's kind of interesting. I know Star Wars Visions, you know, came out. That was a pretty popular thing. A lot of people were talking about it. So I don't know. I just think it's interesting. And it and I don't think it was intentional, but the way that the the article was phrased, it's like you know, a new Star Wars game by experienced design team almost sounds like it's throwing shade at the last one. I don't think that's what they meant, but the way it reads, it could almost be interpreted as this one will be better because we have, but it's the same people. It's the same lead designer. So I don't think that yeah. was an intentional, but it, just, I don't, it was funny the way I read it. I'm like, are they 
kind of pooping on the last one. It's funny too. I think this this is the the whole Asmodee Edge Fantasy Flight. It's a big old can of worms. But I for me, all right, everybody, put on your tinfoil hats, all right, because Conspiracy Tom's coming at you hot. All right, so the what I think this is is Asmodee is actually so people are thinking it's going to be posted for sale again. For those who don't know, Asmodee's Asmodee is a giant uh, conglomerate of it's a not a venture, it's a you know what I'm talking about. It's a it's a company made up of a lot of companies that gets bought and sold for profit. All right. It is a um it gets sold all the time. All right. Uh but what people are thinking is that Fantasy Flight, they cut off their RPGs to kind of trim fat. They sold it all, not sold it, but basically licensed everything to Edge. And basically they don't care about the RPGs as long as it's making some money. All right. So what I'm thinking is going on right now is Edge just has full creative license. Asmodee just doesn't care. They're like, here's your IPs, just make some product and make some money for us, all right? I'm thinking that Edge is just doing everything because they announced they're going to doing Legends of the Five Rings 5th Edition, uh, when 5th Edition, like, like D&D 5th Edition, now they're doing a new Star Wars game. I think they're just throwing all the spaghetti at the wall. That's just, that's just my opinion. I, I think that's what they're doing. I think they have too much leeway right now. Gotcha. So this has sparked a lot of conversation on our Discord. I'll plug that here. Please consider joining our Discord. Just uh, reach out to me. I'll give you the invite. Hit me up on Twitter, on Facebook, or email me at uh, the RPG Academy Gmail. But we had several people talking about like, you know, we like the Star Wars game, but I never really thought space combat really felt like space combat. And, you know, is it our Jedi? Do they feel like Jedi in the game? So we've been having a lot of conversations. So this has actually caused us, we're going to record an episode probably next week with myself, Brad, who's one of the biggest Star Wars fans I know, Chris, who is the GM of the Redemption podcast, which is the longest running Star Wars AP, as far as we know, out there. And maybe a couple other people might jump in as well. But we're going to talk about if we were designing a Star Wars RPG what would we do? And I don't mean we're going to get the nitty gritty, like, you know, it's going to use D12s if I do it, of course, but more like, how do you get the feel of a Jedi without making them overpowerful? How do you make space combat fun, but not too deadly or not deadly enough? So we're just going to have some fun talking about it. So that's just a sort of a sneak peek, a sneak peek at an episode coming up. Sounds cool. Uh, and then the last thing I want to throw out, because this just happened a couple of days ago, but the Hasbro CEO passed away. Yeah. Brian uh, Goldner died at 58 of some medical complications. I don't know the whole story, but obviously Hasbro owns Wizards of the Coast, owns Dungeons and Dragons. And, you know, right now D&D is as big as it's ever been. And it's just interesting to think whoever the new CEO is, what sort of direction they may take the brand. If there's any wide spread changes coming obviously it's all just speculation but uh just again it just sort of just happened a few days ago so i wanted to mention it yeah it's yeah it's a definitely big news especially because brian goldner for those who don't know was a big proponent of dungeons and dragons which is you think it's a tiny little slice of hasbro but he's one of the people who put a ton of money into it and was very much like this is going to be one of our capstone brands so especially now with him out of the picture what's next it'll be interesting to see Absolutely. Yeah, so that's the RPG news. All right, and so now we're going to jump into our DM's Guild Spotlight, except we can't because we no longer have a DM's Guild Spotlight correspondent. Grant uh, has had a whole bunch of life happen, and he is going to step away for a little while. He's still a friend. He's still a patron. No no bad blood whatsoever. He just can't commit to doing it. So we are looking for a new DM's Guild correspondent. 
If you would be interested in taking over that segment, please reach out and let me know. Uh, basically, we would ask for you to record a three to five minute solo you know, blurb that we would just drop into the episodes like we've been doing with Grant and before that we did with Justice. Um, basically, if you buy things on DMs Guild already uh, and you think there's some really cool stuff out there, some undiscovered gems that you would love for more people to know about, then this is an opportunity for you to do so. Um, again, full disclosure, the way it works with Grant is Grant got 50% of any commissions that came from the products he mentioned. So we put links in our show notes. If people actually buy the stuff, use our affiliate link, we get a small, like, you know, like literally pennies on the dollar. But Grant got 50% of anything that was sold because of that. We would offer the same to anybody new. And occasionally he got free stuff because people knew that, that he was doing that. And they might say, hey, here's the thing I have on DMs Guild. Will you check it out? You're not required to promote the things that people send you. If, if you do, you have to make sure you mention it. But that's basically what we can offer. 50% of any commissions on anything that comes because of your shouting them out. And maybe somebody might send you something free in the future. So if that's enough for you to consider doing it, please email me, hit me on Twitter, on Facebook, and let me know because uh, we are looking for someone to take that over. Because regardless of any money, because again, we've made almost nothing over the entire show run on that. But I do think it's a valuable thing to try to shout out some of these lesser known products on the DMs Guild because there are absolutely some hidden gems. And I'd just like to get some more exposure. So if you're interested, hit me up. Other than that, moving on to this, Tom, do you have anything you want to say about the correspondent position? I think it's cool, like you said, uh, yeah, to highlight some special stuff on the DMs Guild. Lots of cool stuff. You can get some. So you guys can get some half pennies from us and maybe some free cool PDFs. Absolutely. All right. So let's jump into the show then. So now we're going to take a look back at Dungeon Talk episode 10. Again, we've been doing this for a little while now. Tom went back and listened to that episode. He made some notes. He has some thoughts. We're going to revisit to see if my opinions or thoughts have changed. So over, overall, Tom, what did you think of episode 10? All right. Episode 10. Is this thing on? All right. Oh, man. Wow. You all were very naughty boys back in the day because, man, there were a lot of F-bombs in this one. Man. Really? Okay. Oh, yeah, Michael. Yeah, you all have cleaned up so nicely. All right. So, no, I, I joke, but it's it was funny. It's a, it's obviously, it is a, it's a very much different show. Uh, you all were very, you know, it was like good old days, kicking back, you know, hanging out in Michael's basement. But this was interesting. Is this thing on? It was titled this because you all attempted to record this two times before you actually did this talk about amateur hour i'm gonna just keep on throwing zingers at you michael what what what's the story there well i still remember this pretty vividly and i'll say even now this is we are going on nine and a half years of this podcast and just like two weeks ago i recorded an episode and was using the wrong microphone so it still happens today after all this time I still make those same mistakes. It's so very frustrating. But yeah, this was this was new days. This was Brandon. This was actually in Evan's basement. Oh, uh, okay. We were over at his house for this one. And I think the first time we just forgot to hit record. And is, this is truly one of those like shoulda, woulda, coulda moments because that conversation that we had was great. And that, that was part of the problem. We just started talking and we were so excited and we were so into it. And I think we spent a good like half hour, 45 minutes before 
um, Evan realized that the EQ band wasn't moving because we use a wholly different setup then. It was completely different. Uh, it wasn't Audacity. It was a whole different thing because Evan was a musician. He had all the, the equipment. So I had no idea. And he just looks over and he's like, I don't think this microphone's on. So we started over. And I think the second time it had only been about 10 minutes. And if I remember correctly, either mine or his microphone was not turned on. Because we were using like the shore, you know, like stage microphones that have a little on off button on the side of them, like, you know, use on American Idol or whatever. And I, I don't want to blame him. I don't want to assume it was me, but one of us, it was turned off. So the EQ band was moving, but it wasn't picking up both of us. So that's when he was like, you know, I think he also was like, hey, I don't think it's going when you're talking or when I'm talking. So, yeah, after about 45 minutes of really good conversation, we try to have the same conversation for a third time. And I think it's still a good episode and still fun. But I think that a first 45 minute version was gold. Yeah. And that's probably where some of these F-bombs came in. We probably were just so frustrated yeah. having the same conversation. We were just kind of over it. That's No, it was funny, though. It was still a, actually a really good conversation. I cu- actually couldn't tell. Like you all mentioned it was your third recording. But after like five minutes, like I didn't feel I. To me, the listener, I had no idea. It felt maybe you all were really good at acting and you all were just doing the exact same word for word conversation again. But you all talked about some really interesting, cool things that I think a lot of people have questions about and I think are still relevant. So I'm curious to see how your how your thoughts have changed. So the first thing that you all talked about was what is the perfect size game group? All right. A lot of people have different opinions about this, whether small or large. So, Michael, uh, what's your idea? Ideal game group size? For me now, it's three. I think three is the perfect size for the type of games that I run and the types of games that I enjoy being a player in. These are very role play focused, story focused games with little combat here and there. I just think that's small enough that everybody gets time to shine in every session, but there's also enough people that you don't just have the same two people that are either always arguing or always in agreement. You have another person to throw in so that you can kind of mix up and maybe these two go off and then these two go off. And um, I just, I think it's enough of a dynamic between any NPCs that the DM might be throwing in and and the players that it's just, it's for me, that is absolutely my perfect size. It also might be slightly tinged by the fact that I do a lot of stuff on podcasts now. And when it comes to editing, trying to edit more than four tracks is a nightmare. So three players in a DM is pretty much the max I want to do in an actual play anymore. Yeah. Okay. So this, since you're talking about small groups, let's talk about them then. Pros and cons of small groups. I think you kind of mentioned it's a little bit easier, as, especially if you have an actual play podcast, but then also like, dealing with NPCs for me um, I also really like three players and that's what we do for ghost of salt marsh. And I, it, to me, it's yes, the editing aspect, but I also feel like I can have a way more intimate story. And it's not just a story between um, like each of the really diving into the other, the characters backstories. I'm not worried about that. It's a lot easier for three people to build a bond together than it is for four people to build a bond together. And so that's just kind of, I, I've seen a lot more real cool, intimate conversations with having three players instead of four. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of what my, but let's talk about some cons. You got any, what are some cons of smaller groups then? 
Well, as, as someone who, again, doesn't do a lot of combat and isn't particularly good at it when I do it, smaller groups require more manipulation, more, again, I'm trying to say away from the word fudging, but oh my more... Word. Let's not get into this again. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, like, if you have six PCs, then you can throw a pretty big creature or a big mob of creatures because probably, bet- you know, then you have the number of attacks that the creatures get versus the number of attacks the players get. You've got more variety in, you know, what the players can do from martial to spell casting to healing. You know, if you've got a lot more bases covered in the roles of your typical party and, you know, combat focused kind of game, you can do a lot more big and exciting things with combat and do some of those like huge set pieces that you think of when you think of a cool D&D battle harder to pull off when you've only got three players without making it overbalanced because, you know, two people in one turn both roll poorly now the action economy is way against the players. You know, if you have the same number of bad guys, or you've had like, you know, they're fighting a dragon or a big, you know, giant monster. It's so powerful that you can just wreck a party if there's only three of them and two of them have a bad role. So you, you have a lot more flexibility, I think, to have bigger, more extravagant combats if you've got more player characters to deal with. Also, just from, like, a, you know, attacking. Like, which one are you going to attack? If, if there's six people on the field, you can divide up the attacks maybe a little bit more uh, d- democratically so it doesn't seem so obvious that you're trying not to kill someone necessarily. Um, th- those types of things. So, for me, the biggest thing is uh, the, the types of combats that you can have are a little bit different and they require a little more massaging, I think, to do well. Now, having said that, because I am all about massaging combats, I think we have some really fun combats in a three-person game, but it's a very different type of combat. Yeah, combats, it's weird with three players, especially if you're doing D&D, which I think you're kind of talking about here, is because 5th edition, all the CRs, the game is, I mean, I mean, whatever you think about balance in 5th edition, it's written and designed initially for four players. All right, all the CRs and everything, it's balanced for four players. So if you're using the monster manual and you're pulling, oh, this is a CR four monster. What that means is that this monster can be dealt with by four level four characters in a moderate level. It's not going to be difficult. It's not going to be deadly. It's just going to be a normal kind of fight all right so yeah combat's a little bit weird uh we definitely when we do three players uh we run like cinematic combat in the sense that i'm like guys really feed into tell me what you want to do and then we'll figure out if you can actually do it so uh, i think that's the best way to do it but one of the other cons of the smaller group is the inevitable player who can't show up Mm, because uh, you don't necessarily deal with this with a larger group, but if you're running a three-player game and you have one player who doesn't show up, depending on what type of game you run, you may not feel comfortable running a game for just two players or even one if that pretty Yeah, pretty much if you're playing three players and one doesn't show up, you don't play. At least that's my opinion. I would would cancel my game if one person couldn't show up out of three. But if I had six players and two of them didn't show up, I'd probably still play with four. We're kind of early on with Ghost of Saltmarsh. Uh, if one player didn't show up, we would totally still play with two players because I actually really like that. But now in our campaign, um, we've, we're so far into it that every single 
all of my players' characters matter so much to the story. If we, we, we cannot play without one of them, we have to have everyone there. So like, for example, we didn't play last night because Troy, Troy couldn't make it. He, this was, Hey, this was not a classic Troy. Troy gave us so much time in advance notice. Um, so, but yeah, yeah, it's kind of uh, it's kind of a tricky thing. So this takes me to my, let's talk about larger groups then the advantage of having a larger group. And when I say larger group, I'm talking, I don't know, what would you consider? Would, it's like five and up larger and three and down smaller. And then four is just normal. For me, I think six is where I would say okay. you have a large, a large party. Because I think three, four, and five is kind of, in my mind, okay. sort of the, the middle ground. Yeah. Like one or two players is small. Three, four to five is right in that range. And then six or more is what I would consider a large party. Yeah, three, four, five are like, they're kind of perfect for me. I much prefer three and four. Uh, but when you're talking five or six, one of the big advantages here is that, hey, like you were saying, Michael, if somebody doesn't show up, you all can still have a game. And it kind of then allows a larger game because you really can't focus on individual character stories because there's just so many people. It lends itself to a more of a, they're really great sandboxy games, uh, games where people can, if you design them well um, and have that great session zero, ding, take a drink, um, where basically people can drop in and out at their convenience. I think that this is going to help you maintain your campaign uh, much longer uh, that's just it's a lot easier to do yeah and then you also have the the sort of the added option of how you mix and match the characters kind of like they do in like like the avenger movies if you're someone who likes those you know you have all these characters one of the things that's fun to do in the later versions of the marvel movies is to mix and match so if you think back on in game one of the fun things was who went with who in each of these different you know, scenes. So, you know, you have Captain America and Iron Man, they get to spend time together. That's fun. Then you have Nebula and War Machine together. We'd never really seen them together, you know? So if you have five, six players, then you can have situations where in this session, maybe these two characters who don't normally spend a lot of time together, they are the highlight that their story is the one we're focusing on or whatever the case may be. So you can constantly change up the dynamic and kind of reinvigorate some of that excitement and that role play energy by saying, okay, you two don't really get along within this session. You two are going to have to work together just to see how that works out. And then you two who, who normally, you know, you get to do this, you two are together, you three together. And that can be a lot of fun from the DM standpoint of how do you mix and match your, your characters to create drama and interest and excitement in in each session. Yeah, uh, but larger games for me, they kind of have a different vibe to them. They, I, they're kind of more uh, more board gamey, kind of hanging out with my friends. Uh, we're not getting really too deep into the role playing aspect. Um, and there's a t- definitely a time and a place for them. But I think we all kind of know the con of a larger game. Uh, so, Michael, what's the biggest game that you've ever played in? I or played ran? in, well, I don't want to exaggerate for effect here. I'm trying to remember. I know I have played in some games that were like six and seven, pretty, you know, pretty reasonable, but I believe there was at least once where I played in like a 10 or 12 person game. There was this weird period of time. I was talking about how I was very secluded. Like when I grew up playing the game was me and my friends, but there was one summer where we kind of reached out to some other people that we knew. And we, we kind of tried to get into like a larger bubble of people. It didn't really work very well. But there was this one summer where we went and played at a couple other places. And one of those was like at a church. 
it was like, it wasn't a church function. I don't even know. It was like a, they had like a, a basement where like a community center type of thing, you know, they would have like dinners and, you know, food bank type of stuff. And somebody knew somebody who knew somebody. So there was like, I don't know, like 15 or 20 of us all showed up in this church basement one night. I have, I have no idea where it was. I don't even know how I got there. This was before GPSs. And we started playing D&D, but not everyone did. But it's like, so people were kind of coming in and out. I have no idea what the story was. It was was not a fun experience. The experience hanging out with these people was kind of interesting, but the game itself was pretty unremarkable. But for me, it's just, there's so many people that it inevitably, you get these little like clicks that form. And it's like, while the DM is talking, these two characters are talking to each other. These two players are talking to each other. When you get into combat, I mean, you, you're lucky to get three turns in like an hour when you have that many players. And just for me, that's not, fun no it's not it's kind of i mean at the end of the day uh the i mean rpgs were it's a social it's a social thing that is not meant for massive groups of people at that point you all should just you know go get out of the basement go grab some sticks and now you guys are larping like just Mm -hmm. it's because i think the biggest game that i ever ran it was early on when i first started playing DD and i was running games at a bar in cincinnati and I was like, okay, uh, D&D, it says you can play four to six people. And I want as many people to play as possible. So I'm going to put my six players can jump into this game. It was, I mean, it was good. It was fun. Um, but it definitely, there was, it was just, there was points of it was chaos. It was especially during combat and, or when we're trying to talk to one NPC, everybody's got their different ideas and it just didn't. It just didn't work for me. I know people who like big games. I know players who like big games. It's good for them, but I just, it's like, it doesn't work for me at all. Yeah. I mean, again, as always, if you run games with 10 people and everybody loves it, then great. You're doing a good job. You're doing exactly what you should do. But for me personally, I just don't enjoy running them or playing in them, or at least I, I haven't. Not to say that maybe the right situation, the right group of players, a great, the right game, the right GM. I might run in with 12 players and, and have a fabulous time. It's never happened yet. Yep. Probably not going to because now I'm kind of adverse to even trying it. Uh, but yeah, I just did not work for me. Yeah. Okay. Last question I want to ask you. Have you ever played a one-player game before? Uh Yes, I think I probably mentioned the same thing. Unless it, I, I know this came up at some point in the podcast. Um, so I talk about this all the time. My college group, we played D and D together. James, one of the people I think might have been cheating. Again, I'm probably getting on tangents here, but anyway, he's the person that would come and like hang out in the room with us when we were playing, and he would always be like, "Well, why don't you do this and why don't you do that?" But he never wanted to play. And finally, you're like, "Dude, either sh- shut up or play." And so we kind of forced him to create a character. He jumped in. It was great. I had some of my favorite times ever playing were those college games with Brandon and James. But one night he's like, I would kind of like to run a game. I'm like, okay. And so he basically, it was just me and him. And we just ran this little game. It was super simple. He didn't know any of the rules, very similar to how we started with Evan. And I just played this character. Uh, I honestly, I still to this day remember certain moments from that game, which is like 20 some years later. It was a ton of fun. I had so much fun in that stupid little one off nonsensical game that we played. 
so I'm actually a big fan of at least trying it because I think it can be great. Yeah, there's I mean, there's all sorts of games specifically made for one player, one GM now. Uh, Party of one podcast highlights them all the time. Absolutely. Jeff knows them all. But the so I have done this and I now do it quite often in my games, especially in my home game, not in the actual play. The it's kind of a known thing that if you miss a session and we come up with some sort of cool story and if you're not there, we may come up with some cool story about where you are at the time mm-hmm. being. And so then I will tell this player and then I'm like, all right, we're going to do a session and this is what happens. And now we're going to role play it out. So the biggest thing, this started out me doing this with one particular instance. I'm still relatively not new. I've been pl- running games for like a year and a half now. Did my first campaign. We're doing Curse of Strahd now. Um, all my players, they, they're in this. They found this temple with some sort of teleporter. They know it's a teleporter. All my players, they are, uh, they're all staying around this teleporter and it goes to different parts of Barovia. It it was like me looking at a small child telling them not to touch that. And they, they, I was like, they knew exactly what they were doing. One player teleports somewhere, two other players teleport somewhere, and then two other players teleport somewhere. So I have three groups spread out over miles of Barovia Mm. because I was very much like, I'm like, Oz, yeah, guys, this is what it does. And I'm not going to change it at all. You guys did this. So we, we did all that. But one of the players, it was random. He got teleported into the middle of Castle Ravenloft. He was by himself in the middle of this castle. We had an amazing game where it was just me and him. He's in Ravenloft. I have all the maps. He shows up. It, he basically speed run through it, didn't fight any monster, just ran as fast as he could to get out of there. He was a rogue, just dodging and ducking through everything. It was it was awesome. Uh, but yes, I think, you had, just long story short, I think you have a lot of fun with, with one-player games. So I guess what I would touch on there is, did that work so well because it was sort of a, pardon the pun, one-off situation yes. yeah. where you know, you could have individual sessions that are one-on-one, but could you sustain a one-person campaign? Like, do you think that would change that dynamic if it was just the same you two over and over again? Completely different situation, brand new campaign, new character, but do you think the one-on-one would eventually um, get stale? Yeah, I think it would, for D&D especially, because the combats are not focused for one player. They're just not. It would be so hard to fix that for this particular, it worked so well because it was kind of like a, it was something different. It was something new. It was like a special Christmas episode of a sitcom that you really like. It's something different. We all had a blast with it, but it's like, okay, now we're ready to get back to what we know and love. So yeah, I would like to do a long campaign, but with a, I would like to do it with Forbidden Lands. Uh, We're going to be getting Forbidden Lands one player rules here soon. And that's a game that would work with one player because it's a system that is made to make player characters adverse to combat. So um, I I would like to do that eventually. So So I'll throw it out to the audience here. If we have anybody listening who's had any experience uh, with uh, one player games, particularly if it went well, I'd love for you to email us, uh, tag us in the episode on Twitter or Facebook, but email especially Tell us a little bit about it. Like, how did it go? What were the circumstances? You know, if you could do it again, would you do what, what, what lessons did you learn from it? I'd love to hear some anecdotes about one player games. And then also just to touch on, if you play in a game with a lot of players, like if you have a 10 person campaign that you're either a player or a DM in, 
that you really enjoy, I'd love to hear some, like, what makes that game fun? Like, what is it about that that actually adds to the excitement? Because it's something that's just, I don't see it. It, You know, doesn't work for me, doesn't mean it doesn't work for you. But I would love to get some insight from someone who does love that. Um, and you know, we'd be happy to share that on, on a future show. So please email the show, the RPG Academy at gmail.com. If you have anything to share in those, in those regards. Yes. All right. Moving on. Yeah. This next one is going to be a little, it's shorter, which is okay. It's kind of just something that came up that I think is interesting. So Michael, have you ever skipped or canceled a game because you just weren't feeling it? Uh, so I can see in the notes that you have this divided to between both player and GM as a player. I will almost never cancel unless I have to. I mean, this is like I'm legitimately sick to the point like I'm going to, you know, blow chunks on people. Or I think I had like one time I had like a terrible migraine. I kind of kind of remember an exact situation. But very, very rarely because as a DM, I know how frustrating it is when people cancel and then you have to actually cancel the whole session because of it. it's not like, you know, everyone else is going to play because you're not there because I run smaller games. So very, very, very rarely will I ever do it as a player. As a GM, I do it pr- not frequently, but I do it enough that it's not an oddity. I'm a big believer that no game is better than a bad game. And this just goes back to my history of like campaigns dying because people lose interest. And if you have a, a, you know, a couple bad sessions in a row or it just isn't fun, you're not on your game and, you know, the players aren't having a good time, they're going to start thinking about this other character that maybe it would have been more fun if they'd been playing that. And I've just, I've had so many campaigns die that if I'm not feeling it, I absolutely think it's okay to cancel. I will say that I still get anxiety as, as much as I've done this, even being someone who now streams games, just before every single game that I run, I get nervous and I start thinking, maybe we should cancel. Like yeah. there, there's a small part of me is actually hoping that other people will cancel and then I don't have to do it. Like someone will say, oh, sorry, I can't do it. I'll be like, oh, that sucks. But personally, you know, but uh, secretly I'll be like, oh, thank God. Cause I get terrible anxiety. No matter if I'm running for my kids, if I'm running for my regular game group, if it's shadow spawns, if it's a one shot, I'm running at a convention, I get truly nervous and anxious right before it starts usually as soon as the game starts and i mean like as soon as when i when i do the hi i'm michael and i i do a little you know preamble for every game that i run once i start talking i'm totally fine and i found the same exact thing happened in my profession i've talked about i used to be an investigator for a couple of retailers and one of the things we had to do was interview shoplifters or interview employees who were stealing and i would get the same thing i would get like almost uh you know nauseous I would be so nervous going into these interviews, but the moment I started my preamble, like, hi, I'm Michael. I need to talk to you about something that happened, blah, blah, blah. Once I start talking, I'm fine. Yeah. But that sort of anticipatory, this might be the best or this might be the worst situation ever. I still, to this day, 30 some odd years running games, get nauseously, almost nauseously anxious every time. What about you? Yeah. I think it's as a player, just kind of, I'm not if you're not feeling it you're sick it's definitely like yes feel free to cancel just be very mindful of that there are other players and you have made somewhat of a social commitment and if it's just like you know what I'm just a little bit tired you know what I would this new video game came out and I would really want to just play it instead just think about that because you have made these commitments. Uh, but 
yeah, definitely. If you're not feeling it, like you're something's wrong, you're sick, you it's just better to just not go. And especially as a dungeon master. So a lot of people know I have where I'm very good as far as my campaigns. We start them, we finish them. I have never had one just drop off. So, but with that said, so I have I have this this confidence that we'll finish it. So I have never been one to cancel my games because of myself. Um, this year, though, I have been traveling a ton for work. And even when I travel, though, we try to really get our games in. I'll stream from my hotels. We've done some Forbidden Land sessions via Zoom. But there have now been several weeks this year where I was just, I was so tired. And I was, I just texted my players. It's like, folks, I can't do it. And I think that's okay. And I think that we've got this, I've got a rapport with my players and they know, and I think it's just having those sort of players who they're not going to get upset with me. They understand like Tom cares about his games. And if he's really feeling like, Oh, he's, he's tired. Like let him rest. Like it's, it's okay. So especially as a dungeon master, the worst, the last thing you want to do is just do a session and it's just like when you're not feeling it. And then that just kind of puts a bad kind of vibe in you where it's just like, I don't, do I really want to even be doing this anymore? Right. It's like, it's better just, just cancel. Don't have the bad session um, rest. And that way you, you look forward to the next one. So right. and again, it's, it's kind of that, that weird sort of line, because I agree, if you're not feeling good, you should cancel, but that very easily could go across the line to, I'm just never going to do this again. Like I'm, you know, I, I, I just, I don't want to deal with that. And I think DMing is some of the most fun I have. I absolutely, when we have a good session as a DM, that is like a, like a high. As someone who doesn't take drugs, I, I assume that's what it feels like to be high. Cause I just, I'm on cloud nine. I'm excited. I have all this energy. My blood's pumping. My mind is racing of all the new possibilities based on what happened. So I really enjoy the aspect of running, but I get nervous beforehand. So yeah. I don't want to, to you know, give people the wrong impression that if you get nervous beforehand, you should not do it. At some point, yeah, you need to push through and say, okay, I'm going to do this. And hopefully it'll be an amazing time. So I think, you know, if you're, if you're actually sick, I think that's when you can absolutely do it. If you're, if you're really tired, if you just think that it's going to be a bad session because of you, then I think it's okay. But, but again, it's, it's sort of like, I'm talking on both sides of my mouth, I guess it just, it's sort of a, I don't, I don't want to give the, the impression I'm telling people, if you're nervous, you shouldn't do it. Cause I think there is a you push through sometimes, and, and I think there's there's a rewarding uh, experience to be had if if you're able to do that. But I know there are people who have anxiety way worse than I have had. So if it's you know like a crippling anxiety, then then you know then maybe not. I don't know. I'm not a professional. I'm rambling now. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, you're okay. I think I think it, to kind of boil this down, it's like have a be aware that this is a level of social commitment, but then also take take care of yourself because you don't want to ruin future games because you've kind of got a, a bad taste in your mouth because you did run a bad game when you weren't feeling good. Absolutely. And then I will just add to that too. Try to give people as much notice as possible. Yes. That is absolutely one of my biggest pet peeves is if you cancel at like on Tuesday for a Friday game, cool. If you cancel Friday at five for a Friday at six game, Oh, and I get things happen. Like if it's an emergency, absolutely. You, you can't deal with that. But if it's just, 
you know, I, my my sister was coming into town. Well, when did you know, when did you know that? You could have told me ahead of time. So just try to be aware. Try to give as much knowledge as possible. And I, I'm I'm a terrible over communicator in some ways because I always try to 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 avoid that. So you can ask Caleb, Lisa, or Brad. I will sometimes say, I think I'm good for next week, but there's about a forty percent chance that my son will have like a soccer game. So I will tell people that there's a chance that I may have to cancel so that if I do then end up having to cancel last minute because of like, you know, the wife had to work late. So I'm the one taking Jacob to soccer that they kind of can, you know, prepare for it, even though that almost never happens. So usually I just, I, I tell them three times, Hey, I may cancel. I may cancel. I may cancel. And then we don't cancel because I don't want to do the thing where we just cancel last minute. So I, I probably over communicate the, the, possibilities and probabilities that I might cancel because I don't want to do that to my players. Yes. Yeah. Okay. No, I think it's good stuff. All right. Final topic. All right. This could be a big one, but I don't think it will be. I think this is pretty cut and dry is running games in established settings. All right. I feel like this is a topic that somebody would cover for a whole podcast. I think we do in the future. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, no, but this is, this is, this is something I wanted to talk about. Um, So you said something that was very interesting. And I want to see if this still holds true today, Michael. You said that you like playing in established settings, i.e. you used Eberron, um, but you don't like running games in established settings. Is this still true and why? Okay, so it is mostly still true. And I don't want to say that I don't enjoy running in Eberron because I do. I love running in Eberron. But there is an additional layer of anxiety and concern that comes with that that I don't have as a player. And I think part of that is just the the expectation of a player, how much I need to know about Eberron to play in a game about Eberron versus what I need to know as a DM to play in a game like Eberron. Because I'm currently playing an Eberron game. Uh, we've, we've missed a few sessions because of schedules, but the uh, It Belongs in a Museum game that I'm playing on the Cthulhu channel, like I love Eberron, but I don't know it as well as a lot of other people. Shane and Ishan from Total Party Thrill are Eberron experts in my mind. So if I were to run a game for them, I would absolutely mess things up. I would be like, oh, this happened in this. And they'd be, you know, they, they could, I don't know that they would, but they could probably quote me line and verse of, well, actually in year, you know, 842 before the founding is when this happened. Yeah. And you just, you know, the lore you just said is completely wrong. So I'm always nervous that if I try to build a story on established lore that other people can verify they might know it better than me and then I've screwed up and then I've kind of ruined the experience of playing an Eberron game because I've tried, I've tried to do something incorrect and it's coming correctly. Whereas a player, I don't have that anxiety because if I get something wrong, it's just, well, I didn't know that there's all kinds of stuff. I don't know. Cause I'm dumb. So like, I, you know, if I could completely do a, a, a story about American history, you could make up all kinds of stuff and I would have no idea that you're making it up because I'm probably just assume I didn't know. You're right. So it's just a completely different power dynamic in my mind. Yeah, no. So, and also, I think we need to say what is an established setting and playing in an established setting. What does that mean? That means that if you're running your game in the Forgotten Realms or Eberron, or if you're doing a Star Wars game or you're playing Forbidden Lands, if you're running in those games, that's running in an established setting. Even if you're not doing an adventure module or really using any of the, the lore per se and you're making your own stuff up, you're still in that setting and that still gives players the opportunity to 
to pull lore and gives you as the dungeon master to insert lore from these. It's like a shared knowledge. It's not a completely new world building experience where you sit down and you make the land of Talonadal or something, you know, where you just whole co-op, own world, own universe. Um, so that's what that is. For me, I've actually only ever ran in established settings. I've never done my own things, even one shots, because I like having the, I like giving my players the ability to pull from these different settings. And yes, I run the D&D adventure modules, but for example, for Forbidden Lands, there's established lore there in the world. And one of my players also runs Forbidden Lands. So he knows the lore very well. So it's kind of funny. We have just recently ran into the situation where we're playing the game and in the land in Forbidden Lands, the elves are very classic elves, very seclusionary, very introspective watchers of the world. All right. In my world, though, they are very much action oriented. They are ready to go burn and raise all of the humans. Like that's how they are. So it's funny, we got to a situation where the this other player was like, that's not what they would do. Like, what are you? And I'm like, uh, it is in my world. And it's just so it was funny. And he and then he was like, oh, that's kind of cool because he kind of like it's kind of uh, for him. It was like, OK, this is different. But it's funny. Um, he definitely leans into like he knows the lore and I'm totally OK with that. And I've told him that, like, use the lore, you know, I don't care. Metagame all you want. Like, I'm just going to change it anyway. So um I think you do get these really cool, uh, you allow players to use what they want. It's funny also, Saltmarsh is in Greyhawk. And so we have been, we joke all the time because we've butchered Greyhawk lore. I've like, I, it's like in the beginning, it's like, oh, this is the world of Greyhawk. And so I went to the Greyhawk wiki and found a few things. And then we just kind of ran with it. We changed all sorts of stuff. Uh, I just really want somebody who knows Greyhawk to listen to it like and then them get mad at us like I want like an angry comment like like oh that's not what the that's not what the Scarlet Brotherhood would do it's just no I don't know I I like established settings but that's me I mean it does a lot of heavy lifting for you you know if you want to play uh, a gray force user in a Star Wars game and you're familiar with the lore you kind of already know what that means and you kind of already have an idea for you know what you could do in that world how you could explore that what your character might feel in certain situations as the game master I know how to create situations that will give you the opportunity to explore that you're going to interact with some Jedi you're going to interact with some Sith you're going to see opportunities to use the force this way or that way to see how you interact and so the the lore does so much heavy lifting for you when you can use it. It's it's you know it's just an unbelievable resource. But it be, can become a weight like an albatross around your neck, where if you're too beholden to it, or if you have players who know it maybe better than you, and they are the type of players who will say, well, that's not what the elves would do, and they won't roll with the punches because they're like, the, you know, the whole history of the world doesn't make sense if all of a sudden that's how elves act here. You know, it it can cause a concern. And someone who gets anxious about games, that's probably another thing that I get anxious about that is probably unnecessary, but it is something that I do, you know, struggle with. So that's my fear, is that I'm going to use the lore incorrectly and rather it be a benefit for the game, it becomes a hindrance. Yeah, I'll say this as a player too. If you're playing in a game with an established setting, be like my player where you know the lore and... That's great. That's awesome. You can bring something to the table that is going to help the dungeon master. But 
don't be shocked if the dungeon master changes something. All right. It's your, it's your table's game. It's not, it's no longer the game that is written in the book. Be okay with changes and don't push back. Like I've had this happen at cons where a player was like, well, that's not what Strahd would do. And it's just like, well, that's what he does in my game. Like, just chill out. It's cool. Everybody else, everybody's yeah. enjoying it. So just be willing to, just because it's written down, uh, be willing to, you know, go with the flow and go with the changes, you know? That's absolutely my player. That's my, that's my player advice. Nobody likes a player who like uh, butts in and is like, uh, no, you can't do it that way. Like, yeah, no one likes that character. <laughs> you're, you're not making the game fun for anyone um, at all. So please don't do that. Yeah. You, if you, if you are having such a bad time at a game that you feel it necessary to bring the game to a screeching halt because another player or the DM is doing something that you just cannot abide, just leave. Just get up quietly without any sort of pomp and circumstance, pack up your stuff and say, everyone have a great game. Not for me. Walk away. Better for everyone. Yeah, I know, right? Ugh. Goodness gracious. Yes, my straw does have the ability to turn into a shadow being. And yes, it's very cool. And I don't care that doesn't say that he has that ability. It's cool. Let's do it. So, you know, Uh, anyway, yeah, established settings. I like them. I play them. I'd be curious to see if anybody who's listening doesn't play in an established setting. How do you do that? Because it kind of like, I don't have, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm a creative person, but I just feel like I don't have the creative capacity to do that. And I know a lot of old school gamers, especially like to create their own worlds. I'm just curious, like how you do that. And yeah, it's just, it's a different art. I feel. All right. Let cool us know. Enough. Uh, well, I think we'll wrap things up there. Yep. Uh, thank you everybody for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this revisit to dungeon talk episode 10. I will put the link to the original show in the show notes. If you want to go back and listen to it uh, and hear all those F bombs that Evan and I were. It's not about. that many. Also Nico was in this episode and that was the first time he's been in. And I will say this. Nico was a real treat to have on the podcast. I feel like he brought I love something. Nico. Yeah. He and I are still friends on Facebook, and every now and then I'll uh, like a post of his or say happy birthday or something. I would love to get Nico back on the podcast. I actually tried. I reached out to him once, like, well, you do a guest spot. You, you should. Know, I've tried. He's just not up for it oh, right now. Yeah. Such, yeah. So, so insightful. Um, felt, yeah, really fun guy. So, yeah, definitely, definitely missed the Nico. So, um, Tom, as always, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate you doing all the heavy lifting here for the lore of the RPG Academy podcast. Lore. Yeah. You go back and listen and put the show notes together. So I really appreciate you doing that. Uh, where can people find you if they want to interact, interact with you on the internet? Where can they uh, chat with you? Yeah, so you can find me at Bezcar Tom. Yes, that's Mandalorian Metal Tom on Twitter, on our Discord. And also, I don't say this enough. I actually have an Instagram that I post to pretty regularly board game stuff, RPG stuff, pictures of my dog. So if you're on the old Instagram, you can also find me at Bezcar Tom. Fantastic. As for me, you can find me at the RPG Academy. Everything I do pretty much can be found there. I'm most active on Twitter. I do have a Facebook page, but mostly it's just cross-posting for whatever I 
thought about on Twitter that day. Uh, and I don't do this enough, but please consider the Patreon. We uh, we still have a small group of people who throw out throw some money at the show to help us pay for like the new microphone. If you're if you're listening to Tom right now, yes, he has a brand new microphone thanks to the patrons of the RPG Academy. We were able to buy him a new microphone. Um, so there's things like that. There's expenses that we have entitled you know with the show. Uh, three bucks a month, honestly, would be amazing. If everybody who listens to this did that it would be like literally almost life-changing uh, for, for me to be able to have that much money to, to do the things I want to do with the show. But yeah, so just consider it. Go to patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. Consider a monthly donation. It would be great. I could buy so many microphones. All right. I could buy so many microphones. So many. Uh, but once again, the Discord, please, again, if you join on the Discord, the Discord's tons of fun. I love yes, the it Discord. It's, it's absolutely my favorite place to hang out and interact with people right now. Uh, so please consider joining. Uh, again, it's not public. It's it's invite only, but I'll invite anybody who asks. Just email me or hit me up on Twitter or Facebook. So with that, we will say goodbye. But before we do, we take a moment to say what is very, 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 very important. And that is to remember that if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Thanks. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.